What a good time of worship. What a good time of worship. Good morning and welcome to the family room at Revelation Rock. It is good to be back. It is good to have the opportunity to share with you, but before I get started, I want to take a minute and thank a few people. Thank you, Tom and Jody, all the worship team, the elders, Tammy, and thank you to each of you as the body of this church for all the care and concern, all the food, all of the help with the kids, schedule stuff, everything that you guys have been so flexible with and helpful for. We're blessed to be part of a wonderful body of believers. It's been, a, it's been an interesting minute here with Melinda's not being able to walk. It's a lot harder than you would think to be a mom. That's, and just to clear anything up that may be cloudy for anyone, dads make terrible moms. Just terrible. We're doing, we're doing our best. She's, we're, getting, we're getting going. We're, she's got about, uh, I think about five or seven, about six weeks and she can start walking and we're going to be back. It's not going to, and that may sound like a long time to you, but if you see Melinda or talk to her, say, hey, it's only six weeks. It's not, it's six weeks. We talked to a medical professional who will remain unnamed, and they're like, wow, you're just, you're not going to do anything for six, it was a couple weeks ago, seven weeks, eight weeks, it's going to be, and I just sat there like, I'm getting depressed. <laughs> it's going to go quick. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. So thank you guys for everything. Everybody, there's so many of you have reached out. I know many of you are praying for us and sending encouragement to Melinda and I. We appreciate it a lot. It is truly light and momentary, as Paul said. This isn't a, we're not going to live like this. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep growing. We're going to learn more stuff, and we're going to see some more amazing things. So last week, Jody shared about, a little bit about the love of God and how, as that is shed abroad in our hearts, we learn to see clearly things as they truly are. Without the love light of God's love, God's kind of love shining in our lives, we often see things as they appear. How many of you know that as things appear are not as they always are? We're aware of this in the natural. We operate in this all the time. That's why we have light switches. Because if we were to operate with a room being dark, as we see it, we would never do anything in that room. But when we need, we flip the light on, we can see clearly, and we can see things as they are, not just as they appear to be. This is an important thing in the lives of a believer, and this is, this, we're kind of, it was a great uh, prelude to what I'm starting to talk about this week, and we've, get, we've started a whole bunch of things over the last six months, and we're going to come back to all of them, bits and pieces here and there. I'm really excited about this week. I shared with Trey this week, uh, this past, I don't know, Tuesday, Wednesday, when they were over, um, I knew exactly what I was supposed to preach on this Sunday, like a month and a half ago. Which, for any of you that have been here for any length of time, you're aware, that's really rare for me to know that early, and, and I've done my best to not add anything to it, to just stay with exactly what I've got clarity on. But it was a great prelude last week, understanding how God's love shines the light and the truth that we can see things as they truly are. How, many of you that know me very well know that I love history, and I love I love like World War II, I love World War I, I like this, I, I mean I don't love that those are part of human history, but I love studying them, I love that time period. 
in human history. I like studying the 1800s a lot. And um, as I was preparing this, there was several things that, that came out of the World War II era that really struck me. And we talk, we've talked about this. I mentioned one uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was up here closing, and I shared a quote from, uh, oh, what's his name? Not Oswald Chambers. Can't remember the guy. Winston Churchill, about how they were so dedicated to doing battle, they were not going to give up. They will do battle in the streets, and they'll do battle on the shores and in the air and everywhere. They were going to do battle. And I thought about that. I, from that, it was just as I was going through this, I thought about during the World War II time frame, there was a unity in all of the Allied forces. But I thought about this country, this United States, from shore to shore, there was a unity. No one, it, there, was, there was unity like almost never seen before in this country during that time. Nobody knew what, or nobody questioned what the main thing was. In fact, to the degree that the President of the United States at that point in time met with titans of industry, a couple of different big players in industry, sat down in the White House and said, what are we going to do to stop this? We have to build a war machine like the world has never seen to stop what's going on in Europe. So these titans of industry, they got that way by being capitalists. They got to be who they were, people of influence in industry, by being capitalists, by saying we're going to do what makes most sense for money. But there came a point in time when they realized the threat of invasion from Nazi Germany was greater, this isn't history class, but it was greater than, it couldn't be overcome by just more capitalism. There came a point where everybody had to set all of their personal ambitions aside. Factories said, you know what, we'd love to keep building cars because people are going to love cars. But right now we got to build something or we're not going to have a country. We're not going to have the freedom to drive. And so they set, everybody set personal ambition aside, everybody set all this stuff aside, and they locked in unity to build a machine. Not just a physical machine, but a big geopolitical and social and military machine. And so they, there was unity, incredible unity. You walk anywhere, anytime, and you would say, you know, what's the main point, right? What's our goal as a country? It's to defeat the Nazis and to preserve freedom. That was the goal. And I thought about this with the church today because, as you know, we are in a war. Now, the, the end is won, but we're in a war, which is confusing for us. But practically, we are in the war zone right now. You may not want to be. You might be here this morning and say, well, I don't really... I don't really think that I'm in a war. That's fine. You can think that you're not. You still are. Thinking that you're not doesn't remove you from the battlefield. We are in the battlefield. And what is lacking today, largely, and I'm not talking about this specific church, this local church of Revelation Rock, but the church globally, the big C church globally, is we lack unity. If you asked any American citizen that was working for the war effort in the 1940s, what's the goal? Like, there wasn't this confusion of, well, my goal is, I just really wanted the farmers that were farming and raising crops and feeding the military in the country, they weren't like, well, I just really want to get a few more acres. My goal is just to get a few more acres. And the people working in the medical community weren't like, well, we're going to win this war solely by taking care of the wounded. That's all that matters is taking care of the wounded. And 
The people on the front lines weren't saying the only thing, you know, like we don't need supply lines, we don't need factories, we just need more soldiers. They all understood we're working together to accomplish one goal. If you ask 100 Christians today, you ask them, are you a Christian? And they reply is yes. You ask them the next question, what is your job? What is the point? You would about get 100 different answers. Because as a church, and this isn't on you guys, this is on anyone involved in leadership in churches, it is on us to communicate with absolute clarity that point. So that if your job and this is continuing the metaphor, if your job is working in the medical industry, you know we're working in the medical industry because we want to see what? Freedom preserved and the Nazis defeated. That, they understood every, every cog in the, in the machine, every cog on the wheel of the machine of that war effort understood we're working together. We'll be a truck driver and we'll haul stuff. We'll be in the factory. We'll be making stuff. We'll be on the front lines. We'll be pulling the trigger, whatever, and everyone in between. We'll be in the White House calling the shots. We'll be in the Pentagon calling the shots. All of these different steps, everybody was working together. And in the body of Christ, you ask 100 people, what's the main point? Maybe to be good. Some people will say, oh, it's probably to be good. main point of being a believer is to be good. Oh, I don't, that's, that's not it. Maybe the, point is, maybe the point is to go to church. Maybe the point is to get more people to come to church. Maybe the point is to stop swearing. Maybe the point is to stop sinning. Probably should stop sinning, verbing doing the bad things. Then the more, so we'll just focus all of our energy on not doing the bad things. Maybe the point is to be nice to other people. Maybe the point is to love other people. That sounds good. We could do that. We could do, let's just love other people. Maybe the point is to have revival meetings. Maybe the point, and all of these things are fine. They're always, this is good. I'm not encouraging sinning. I'm not encouraging, let's just use all the profanity we can. I'm not encouraging, there's, I'm not encouraging not doing good things. I'm not telling people to start doing bad things. But none of those are the point. What is our main thing? This is a way longer intro than I was anticipating. Our job as believers is one thing. How many of you know it's, it's not our one thing? I'm not, now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to push over anyone's sacred cows, but I just want to, our one thing is not to provide clothes to people that don't have any. Although that's a good thing to do. Our one thing is not to raise the dead. Well, Jesus said, the same things I do and greater they'll do. Our one thing's not to heal the sick. Our one thing isn't to all of these things. Our one job is to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the one thing. You say, but, but I like those other things. Perfect. And you may have giftings in those other things. But the point isn't the other things. There is a singular focus. And as we grasp that, and as we renew our minds to that singular focus for being a believer today, the, more, the quicker we know what is our reason. I, I sat through a leadership thing years ago, 
And like, they were talking about learning to say no and how no is the most important word a leader will ever learn to say. And they said, once you understand what your one yes is, all of your no's are made for you. If it doesn't fit what my yes is, if it does not further what the thing is that I'm supposed to do, it's just an easy no. And as a, as a believer today in this culture, it's tough. It's tough. We're going to look this morning, we're going to start digging into an Old Testament story that reveals bits and pieces, types and shadows of the covenant that was at that point yet to come. Now, it's the covenant we're walking in today. It's not yet to come for us. It's our covenant today. But at the time, it was a covenant that was yet to come. Also, it reveals some instruction to us as new covenant believers having received the greatest news ever. Human nature, just, it's just the way we're made up. You can say, well, I don't think I'm that way. Well, your nature is this way. Our human nature is to hoard good things. You get a good thing, the first thing we do with a good thing is like we gotta make sure we get some for us. Now, some of us are working on being generous, and so after we get some for us, we're like, we should find somebody else to give some to. But it's always after we get some. I'm just talking about our nature. I'm not saying any of you in here are not walking in extreme generosity. I know that you are. But I'm talking our human nature, left alone, is to, you watch kids play and they reveal this to us. See, nobody teaches a kid to gather all the toys that they want and not share them. We don't sit down, it's like, this is how you be selfish. They just learn it. Human nature is to hoard the good things together. Gather unto ourselves in spite of those around us. In America today, it may even be exacerbated more. We have, as a culture, adapted a bit of a, and I put this in quotations, that stinks to be them mentality towards anyone without. Now, in the church, in this culture, I'm not talking about this body, I'm talking generalization, the church, we have rectified that to a degree. At least as far as earthly things are concerned. We're great at feeding the hungry, which is good. We're great at clothing the naked, which is good. Fixing the natural problems we see our fellow man slammed with. The church, big cultural church, is pretty good at this. In fact, it is part of our job. That, it, it's not part of our commission, but it's part of the job. Walking that commission out, there's some things that are going to happen. Because it's really hard to share somebody good news. It's like, man, I have a full belly, and you're starving, but you should really get born again. Well, that's difficult. And so we've rectified it to a degree. We should get everyone sandwiches. And I'm for this. I, have, I underline this in my notes because I really don't want anyone misquoting me or taking something away from this and making something out of it that it's not supposed to be. I and our leadership at The Rock are completely for and in favor of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and housing the homeless. We're for that. That is not the end-all, be-all of our job. In fact, that's just on the way. When we're walking the direction of our calling, we're going to have hungry people that we're going to feed. There's going to be clothing, the naked is going to happen, and there's going to be homeless people housed. But that's not the point. It's just on the way. So while we have, we have rectified this self-centeredness, this gathering good things to ourselves in the church to a degree, we have largely avoided the eternal situation that is the heart of every man, woman, and child. Now, you might think, I don't know if I follow you. Well, go do a little research, go spend a little time, and I know many of you have, talk to people that are involved in these situations that we just talked about. 
and you will find that they are very committed to feeding the hungry. But if we feed the hungry and we give someone a sandwich that is legitimately hungry, I'm for that, church, but if we leave them without the gospel, we have done them a disservice. The gospel isn't a sandwich. It's so much bigger. The gospel isn't a hospital. I'm for a hospital. We gotta keep people alive so we can get them born again, but we can't stop it keeping people alive. We'll just keep people alive. No, we gotta keep them alive eternally. We gotta get them the gospel. If we do the feeding and the homeless and the medical, we do all that stuff and we fail to share the gospel, we've done a disservice. See, it is our main job as a church to meet the ultimate need, not alleviate light and momentary suffering. Light and momentary suffering, it's coming, it's going. Should we alleviate it if we have the opportunity? Absolutely. Should we have organizations that are geared towards that? Absolutely. But that should be a subset in our lives, in our calling, in our mission. Our calling is not to feed, it's to ultimately carry, or to ultimately fix the ultimate need. You see, Romans chapter one, verse 16, Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it and it alone is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jews first and also for the Greeks. If we as a body of Christ understand what that means, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Anybody, you can shout it out. What's gospel mean? Real, two words. Good news. Let's all say good news. One, two, three, good news. We understand the goodness of the news that we carry, everything else pales. Because we quickly realize when we start plugging the holes in our society of the natural, physical needs, we run out of fingers to plug the holes with. We can't fix everything. We can't keep everybody alive. We can't feed every hungry person. We gotta carry something bigger than a natural solution because it's a supernatural problem. We have a supernatural solution. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17 reads, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, amen. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, who has believed our report? So then, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ, the gospel. When we hear the gospel, that's, how, that's what brings faith. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, where is he going with this? I know he's sleep deprived. This could be affecting his organization. And Tom laughs because he's like, organization? <laughs> he was thinking it. We're going to look, uh, we're going to read some in the Amplified this morning because I think the story, and we're, we're going to read for a little while. If you guys want to follow along in your Bibles, that'd be great. We're going to read a story and then we're going to come back to these scriptures we've just read and this introduction we've just talked about. This is a big thing, this is a big story, and I'm excited about this morning. We might be here next week, yes. But I'm excited about this morning and next week. 
2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 24, and we're going to read all the way, everybody. Remember, you came to church, it's where we read the Bible sometimes. We're going to read all the way to 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 20. Whew. I thought about asking somebody else to read this, I'm like, they would all say no. This is so many verses. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified. I'll read the verses out so that you can follow along. The reason I want to share this in, we're going to read the whole thing. I want us to get context. I want you guys to follow this story. So if you can, you're here this morning. Give me a half hour, and I want to paint a little picture here. I want to share this story. This is a legitimate story. This isn't a parable. This isn't something that may have happened. This is, in the Word of God, this is exactly what happened. Second Kings, chapter 6, verses 24 through 30, well, 24 through 720. But it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, or Syria, gathered his whole army together and went up and besieged Samaria. Now there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. We're not just going to read the whole thing. I've got to add a little bit here so that you understand what's going on. Uh, the donkey's head was, number one, it was unclean, ceremonially unclean. Number two, there's not a whole lot of stuff to eat on a donkey's head. And also this, the dove's dung, they believe, and I agree with them because I don't like how that reads the way it is. They believe that that's actually referring to a type of vegetable. If you read it, if you, it took a lot of digging. I'm like, they're eating dove's dung? Like there's, it seems like they're wishing to die, but it's actually, they believe it's talking about a type of vegetable. Anyways. These are really high prices for what you're getting. There's not a lot of value here. This is what it's, the pay, we don't understand this because it's not in dollars and it's not like there was two loaves of bread and it cost $150. This is the picture. We don't speak this type of currency real clearly, but the idea is they were besieged. There was no food coming in or out. They were starving. Got to the point where if you had a dead donkey and you cut its head off, it was worth a lot of money because somebody could boil it and make a little bit of soup or something, okay? The king of Israel, Jehoram, was passing by on the city wall. A woman cried out to him, help my lord, O king. He, he replies, if the lord does not help you, from where shall I get you help? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? The king said to her, what is the matter with you? She answered, this woman said to me, give your son so we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and we ate him. The next day I said to her, give your son so that we may eat him, but she had hidden her son. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his clothes. Now he was still walking along the wall and the people looked at him. He had a sackcloth underneath his royal robe next to his skin. Then he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat remains on him today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house. The elders were with him. The king sent a man ahead of him to behead Elisha. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha told the elders, do you see how the son of Jezebel, a murderer, has sent a man to remove my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it securely against him. Is not that the sound of his master's feet just behind him? While Elisha was still talking with them, the messenger came down to him followed by the king, and the king said, this evil situation is from the Lord. Why should I wait for help from the Lord any longer? We're gonna stick a pin right here, and I wanna talk through a little bit of this. I don't wanna lose anybody. Some of you are thinking, this is a very abstract story. Where are we going with this? 
This is not the story we're teaching on, but this is the context. It's really, really important, not only when we read scripture, but when we carry the gospel, that we understand context. Okay? The context is here. They've been besieged for a long period of time. They're starving to death. The only reason, I shouldn't say the only reason, a big reason the story is interjected in here and recorded about the two women going to kill their sons and eat them is to show the desperation. This is not a three o'clock in the afternoon, haven't eaten anything all day sort of hungry. We've all been there where you're a little hungry. This is a level of desperation and hunger such as I, none of us in this room can understand this. You might think, what terrible parents? Probably. What desperate situations. We can look at this and we can throw rocks at these moms and say, oh my gosh, they're terrible moms. That's fair. But let's look a little further, zoom out a little bit more, and see the desperation of this situation. The king didn't even quite understand how bad it was. He's walking along the wall, and this woman says, hey, help me. Her goal, she didn't even ask him for food. She didn't say, let's figure this problem out. She's like, I want to find that woman's son. This isn't fair. Oh my, the desperation. This is context, and it's imperative that we understand context so that we can understand what's about to happen next and the magnitude of what's about to happen next. This is a big situation, big, big, big situation, and we gloss through these so often, and sometimes we maybe understand, well, um, many of you will be familiar with this next part of the story, but without this first part, the next part gets cheaper. You say, why am I saying that now? Because I just talked about what's the main purpose of us as a church, as believers. We have to carry the gospel. But church, if we don't understand the intensity, the urgency, the utter dire circumstances our fellow mankind is living in, we won't carry it with the same urgency. We have to, the context of people, how many, you know everybody in this room knows somebody that doesn't know Jesus, And we have become, and some of it is the way we talk sometimes, but we have become somewhat comfortable with that. So that many of us have had conversations in the last 12 months even with somebody that so-and-so passed away, they left this life, and in just as calm of tone, just as nonchalant, well, did they go to church? I'm sorry, what? Well, you know, do you think they were a Christian? It's like, did you know that person, didn't you? I knew the person. Did you know the person? We knew the same person, and now after they're gone, we're just calm and nonchalant. Like, well, they passed away. That's too bad. You know, they got what everybody else had, or they got such and such we've never heard of, or just terrible accident or whatever. And it's like, wow, you know, I don't know. I hope they were a Christian. Like, how much do we hope that they were a Christian? How much do we hope it? Do we hope it enough to have a slightly more than nonchalant conversation slightly before they tap out of this life? Now, there are times that we don't get that opportunity, but I'm, I'm standing here in front of you, church. We get most of those opportunities. We just don't take them because it's easier to give somebody a sandwich and say, maybe they'll ask me why I'm different. Maybe they will, but maybe we can tell them. We're commissioned to make disciples, Go out carrying the gospel, delivering, I'm getting ahead of myself, delivering this message with the urgency and the intentionality that it deserves. 
There is nothing. I could come up here and tell you, hey, everybody, and I've talked about this before. I've used this metaphor before, but I could tell you I have uh, the, uh, let's see, how many was there? 85 people in here today. I know the next 85 lottery numbers for the Mega Millions. And if you guys all get in line, I'll give you one. You can all go win. Everybody can be a multi-bajillionaire. Boy, that's exciting. Obviously not that exciting because you know that I don't know them. But imagine that I did. Whoa, that'd be kind of, could we just maybe do the numbers thing and then finish church? Let's get the numbers out so I know what number I've got. There's an excitement in that. And yet, we are carrying way bigger news than the next 85 lottery numbers. We are carrying ultimate solution news, the kind of news that will cause someone to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. When we understand it in perspective, this life fades. It becomes like, throw me in prison as long as the gospel goes forward, great. If, oh, if you beat me to death, but if someone comes to know Jesus, hallelujah. How do you get these Christians down that have this mentality that Paul had? They understood, Paul understood the magnitude of the message that he carried. This was not a social convenience for him. This was not a place that's like, well, I don't have anything else going on Sunday, so I suppose we'll go to church. That was not Paul's mentality. It was like, well, we're in the stocks. We got our backs beaten raw. It's not looking good. They could off us tomorrow. They could off us tonight. Let's have a little worship service. Maybe some of these people around us need to get born again. Because he understood the urgency of the message that he carried. This is a big deal. Anyone with a pulse, this is the biggest news you'll ever hear. If you still have a pulse, this is the biggest news. Bigger than paying your house off. Bigger than getting married. Bigger than having children. The greatest news we will ever receive and we will ever carry to anyone else is the gospel. It is the gospel. We're going to keep going because I skipped some stuff. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 20. Then Elisha said, I'm reading in the Amplified, so I don't know if anyone has the Amplified. I don't always read in it, but I, I like some of the extra words they add. So we're reading in the Amplified, 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 20. Everyone buckle up. We're going to go through 20 verses with minimal stops. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Elisha's a prophet, so this is going to be good. Tomorrow about this time... A measure of finely milled flour will sell for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. We do need a pause right here. Say, what, how is that relevant? What did we just read? The donkey's head, no nutritional value, and some possible vegetables, possible dove dung was bringing silver prices. And he's saying 24 hours from now, finely milled flour. That's expensive back then. They did not go and buy a, buy a bag of gold Flour at Walmart then. They made flour. Finely milled, premium flour will sell for a shekel. Two measures of barley for a shekel. For a shekel also. Cheap. The good stuff gets cheap in 24 hours? It's crazy prophecy. Verse two. Then the royal officer on whose arm the king leaned. That's a fun little, I like that picture there. The royal officer on whose arm the king leaned. Boy, the world has been shaped by a lot of those guys. Leaned, answered the man of God and said, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing take place? Is that a statement of faith or unbelief? Serious unbelief. 
You got to read, you got to hear the tone. Here, this, is a, this guy's a somebody and he knows it because he's the guy whose arm the king leans. He's a big deal. And it's like, you're going to make a prophecy that food's going to get that cheap? You're going to single-handedly, you're going to say, it would be like us, someone saying, inflation's going to reverse by 20, 20% in 24 hours. We would be critical. Yeah, you think? Food's going to get cheap in 24 hours? And he says, um, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing take place? And Elisha said, behold. In other words, sit up and look. Since you opened your mouth, we're going to have a conversation. Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but because you doubt, you will not eat of it. Now, the story shifts. And I love, the, I love stories, and I really, I love this story. Now, four men who were lepers at the entrance of the city's gate. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the city's gate, and they said one to another, why should we sit here until we die? If we say, we'll enter into the city, well, the famine is in the city and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we'll also die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Armenians, the Syrians. If they let us live, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll only die, which we've established in the last verse. We're fixing to die in A, we're fixing to die in B, and C, there's a 50-50 chance we don't die. So they got up at twilight to go to the Armenian camp. When they came to the edge of the camp, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the Armenian army to hear the sound of chariots and the sound of horses, the sound of a great army. They had said one to another, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come and fight against us. So the Armenians set out and fled during the twilight. They left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, even left the camp just as it was, and they fled for their lives. When these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into one tent, they ate and they drank. Thank you, Jesus. They ate and they drank. Remember, this is coming from the land of the silver-valued donkey's head. They ate and they drank. They entered the tent, they carried some valuable things, and there also, from there also, and they went and they hid them. So now we're eating, we're drinking, we're taking silver, gold, clothing, and they're hiding. It's like jackpot for what they were coming from. This is a jackpot. Then verse nine, they said one to another, we are not doing the right thing. This is a day of good news. Yet we are keeping silent. If we wait until the morning light, some punishment for not reporting this now will come upon us. So now come, let us go and tell the king's household. Verse 10, so they came, they called to the gatekeepers of the city. They told them, we went to the camp of the Armenians, the Syrians, and behold, there was no one there, nor the sound of man there, only the horses and the donkeys tied up, and the tents had been left just as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was reported to the king's household inside the city. Then the king got up in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Armenians have done to us. Now they know that we're hungry. So they've left the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. Immediately we're suspicious, right? The king is immediately, he's like, this is, this is it almost sounds like it's too good to be true. Does everybody get that? 
That's like, this is too good. That's written in between these lines is the king saying, that's too good to be true. So in verse nine, we see the lepers saying, this is a day of good news. They're just gonna carry the good news. And then we see the king say, no, 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 that's too good to be true news. One of his servants replied, verse 13, please let some men take five of the horses which remain inside the city. Consider this, think about this. If they are caught, then at the worst, they will be like all the people of Israel who are left in the city, even if they are killed then, because we're fixing to die here. They'll be like, uh, and see what happens. Sorry, I skipped a line. They will be like all the people of Israel who are left in the city, even if they are killed, then they will be like the people of Israel who have already died. Let us send them and see what happens. So they took two chariots with horses. The king sent them after the Armenian army, saying, go and see. Verse 15, they went after them to the Jordan, and all the road was entirely littered with clothing and equipment which the Armenians, the Syrians, had thrown away when they hurriedly fled. The messengers returned and told the king. Then the people of Israel went out and they plundered the camp of the Armenians. So goods were plentiful so that a measure of finely milled flour was sold for a shekel. Hmm. Two measures of barley were sold for a shekel. Hmm. In accordance with the word of the Lord, as spoken through Elisha. Now the king had appointed the royal officer, remember this guy, on whose arm he leaned to be in charge of the city gate. Prestigious job. But the starving people trampled him at the gate as they struggled to get through for food, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to him. It happened just as Elisha, the man of God, had spoken to the king, saying, two measures of barley will be sold for a shekel and a measure of finely milled flour for a shekel tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. The royal officer had answered the man of God, saying, now behold, even if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing happen? And Elijah had answered, you will see it with your own eyes, but because of your doubt, you will not eat it. So it happened to him, for the people trampled him at the gate and he died. That's, that part of the story is not that good of news for him. It's kind of a heavy ending to that story. But I want to I explain this story that we're looking at this morning is ripe with shadows, with types, with pictures, glimpses, little reflections where we can see the coming gospel. First thing, just right off the top, we just got to address this because it was kind of the bookends of this this whole story of God's provision, is unbelief doesn't pan out. That's a principle I want to draw. We're going to continue to look at. It, unbelief will not feed you. Unbelief will not prosper. Unbelief will not preserve us. Unbelief does not pan out. The officer on whose arm the king leaned spoke what was the natural thing to say, though, didn't he? It's like, there's no way. Because he understood. This guy, we kind of, it's easy to kind of gloss over him as this guy. He just rank with unbelief. But you got, this guy was a realist. You say, oh, I think he's a pessimist. No, he's a realist. He was the man on whose arm the king leaned. He was well acquainted with financial things. He had some measure of education. He knew what it took to bring the price of flour, especially finely milled flour. It's expensive stuff. And he knew this isn't something that happens. In fact, he dared say in his arrogance even if God were to dump flour from heaven like rain, it ain't gonna be that cheap. Can't happen, it's not possible. In the natural, he was a realist. He was speaking things as they were, but we see in the text, 
he was speaking from a position of unbelief. All through Scripture we see, from Genesis to Revelation, the Lord operates with people who walk in faith. Faith is one of the hardest things, and a handful of you have reminded me this week, it's, I can't remember the exact verse in Hebrews, it talks about, by faith and patience they receive the promise. Lord Jesus, patience is hard. It's not easy to be patient. But all through human history, the Lord has operated through people who were walking by faith, who chose to believe something that didn't look like it was true, didn't look like it was possible. This is a picture. This is a picture right here of the gospel for us today, church. What looks impossible? The law of Moses. In fact, it doesn't look impossible. It is impossible. If the law of Moses is the standard required for us to be right with God, we're toast. And we could say, with this man on whom the king's arm leaned, even if the Lord were to rain righteousness down from heaven, it's impossible for us to be righteous. And if any of you have spent any time in the law, you know that that's true. I can't do it. It's just so impossible for the prices to correct on finely milled flour or for me to be actually right with God. They're both impossible. It's impossible. But what do we see? Jesus comes and makes it possible through a set of circumstances in this story that no one could imagine. There was nobody on the, on the back side or on the front side of this story that was like, I bet the Syrians are gonna hear an army coming and they're gonna leave, but they're gonna leave everything there and it's gonna be enough that flour gets that cheap in 24 hours. Nobody thought that. Just like in the natural, no one could think, how could someone 2,000 years ago live a sinless life and die as a sacrifice for us to give us the gift of righteousness? That's even less believable in the natural. That's how faith operates. And as a believer today, I invite you to believe. This is a picture of the gospel for us. We're gonna keep going. I gotta finish that point though. All of his belief was in the natural circumstances which they found themselves in and he was willing, this is another, another point that I gotta make on this. He was not just operating in unbelief, church. He was willing to speak it forth. That's, the, that's the, like unbelief on steroids. It's like, we can, I'm not real sure that that's possible. Maybe just keep it to yourself then. Nope. He's like, not only is it not possible, but I wanna go on record as the man on whom the, arm, the king's arm leans that ain't possible. There's no way, man of God, it's not going to happen. As a result, just as Moses was able to see the promised land, this officer was able to see with his natural eyes the deliverance of the Lord, but never eat of it. How sad to see it. He saw it. He heard of it with his ears. He saw it with his eyes, but he never got to eat of it because of his unbelief. Now, we're finally to, that was all pretty much introduction. We're to the good part now. We're gonna make, is everybody got time for one more point? That was a joke. No one laughed because you're all hungry. But you got time for one more point. One more point, okay. And we're gonna do some of the rest of this another time. The preachers, the ones declaring the gospel. You say, wait, 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 what's the gospel? 
These guys carried the gospel just like us. And we talked about it. We drew it out of this story. They said this is a day of good news. The king analyzed it and said it's too good to be true news. How many of you know that's the definition of the Greek word that is translated us, to us as gospel? Nearly too good to be true news. These boys carried it. These lepers carried it. The ones, the preachers, say, wait, wait, are they preachers? All a preacher is is someone who proclaims it, proclaims it to a listener. You say, I don't know, preacher. You're all preachers too. We're carrying the gospel and we're proclaiming it to hearers. The preachers, the ones declaring the gospel, they were social and physical outcasts of their society. Leviticus 13, 45 to 46 says, now the leper on whom the sore is, this is a whole chapter on what leprosy is and how it's to be dealt with. The leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head bare. He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all his days. All the days he has sores, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. These guys had been thrown out of this camp. They were outcasts, not just socially. It's like, I don't know if we want to associate with him. No, physically, outside the camp. You don't get any of the provision, any of the protection outside the camp. Go, because nobody wants to get it. And yet they carried this gospel back to that camp. I'm going to wrap this here. We see Jesus in this story. We see the good news, the nearly to be nearly too good to be true news. We see what is the nearly too good to be true news? It was provision. It was food for them. It was the opportunity to survive. The gospel in this picture was that there was tons of provisions left in the camp. The chapter before we read and we looked at and some of you were like that's a strange story, but we looked at and we see that the paramount need was food and provisions. You know, types and shadows in the word of God, they're never a complete. They're always a shadow. They're always a picture. There's details left out. So this story, the gospel is food and provision. But how many of you know that the gospel we carry today is a lot bigger than food and provision? But there's a picture in this. We see the greatest need for the people of Samaria was food and provision. The greatest need for the people that we're carrying the message to is Jesus. There's a perfect parallel. They, did, they weren't gonna survive without this. The people we're carrying the gospel to today aren't gonna survive without the gospel. As believers today, looking around the world, we can clearly see many issues, can't we? We, if we had a whiteboard up here and we started making a list, it would get full quick. The issues in this world. Anybody know there's some problems? There's some people that are doing some weird things. This world is messed up. Right is still right, we know, but looking around, it's like, ah. There were issues in Samaria, weren't there? Let's look back real quick at that. What were some of the issues? There was some really messed up parenting I mean, strange ways of manifesting self-centeredness. That's like today. Look around our society. There's some really strange ways self-centeredness is manifesting. There is 
in this story, there is some toxic leadership. This king and his lieutenant had a little bit of an odd view of things. We didn't get into all of that, but there was some mess up. Kind of like today, we can look around and it's like, there's leaders, and I ain't naming names, but there's leaders in places that's like, what? What is going on? And yet, the solution for the people of Samaria was food and provision. The solution to our world today, the end all be all today, is a need to know Jesus. All the other issues with our world, our society, our country, and even our own community, they pale in comparison and they will be rectified by knowing Jesus and walking with him. You see, the king, he could have taught a parenting class to those couple of moms. But if they starve to death, what was the point? It doesn't matter. It could be, wow, we've we repented and we changed our ways as parents and so for 18 more hours we're here as great parents and then we're toast. The king, he could have repented. He could have said, I gotta, I gotta choose to believe God for good things and he had a strange perspective on God. He thought this whole thing's from God and it's a very strange uh, perspective that he had he could have repented from that perspective and he could have said this is not how I want to see things all of he could have fixed his leadership stuff he could have reprimanded his lieutenant and said listen don't speak to the man of God that way all these things it's fine but to what end if they died of starvation hours later you see all of those things can be dealt with once people had something to eat as believers today, we carry the gospel. All of the social issues, all the stuff going on in our world, it is all needs to be dealt with, for sure. But you know what our job is? Our job is to carry Jesus with clarity and certainty so that whatever we do, whatever we say, wherever we are, the gospel goes forth. The gospel goes forth. The gospel goes forth. I don't care if we're socially outcast. I don't care if someone has thrown us out of their city gates and condemned us to a life of leprosy. I don't care. Our job, carry the gospel. This is a day of good news. Now, as I said, this isn't a perfect picture because these guys were afraid. They said, oh, some punishment is gonna come upon us if we don't do this. You and I, we don't have to fear punishment. Can I get an amen? We do not have to fear punishment, but it is an opportunity and an invitation to carry what everyone needs. Everybody we see needs this. Many of you work with people, go to school with people, you're maybe family, maybe you're related to people, maybe you live in the same house as people that don't know Jesus. They're starving to death. They're making really whacked out calls like, I don't know, we'll boil your kid tomorrow and my kid the next day. What? They need something to eat, they need the gospel. Look around at our society, it is on fire, it's a mess. And we can go around trying to spray little things, like we're gonna put this little fire out here. That's fine, but if the raging inferno is still there, it doesn't matter. But if we carry the gospel, if we carry Jesus, and we get a singleness of mind, the Bible says when, uh, in Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, said they were in one place, the disciples were in one place, and with, anybody got it? One mind. They were unified, one accord. See, it's going to be one accord. Just to clarify, it's going to be one accord when we get to heaven. That's what the King James says, one accord. Anyways, that was a joke for Chris in the back. It'll be one. They were, they were unified. There was incredible unity. And I believe today, church, as we unify around that one thing, I'm not saying we don't address the things that are on fire on the way. 
I'm not saying it doesn't, I'm not opposed to all of the things we talked about in the beginning, but the thing, the most important thing is that we carry the gospel. And it is important that we know the gospel. If you've got a question about this this morning, I want to invite you to come talk to me. Well, that's going to be hard. Maybe call me. I have two kids and my wife's not here. So call me or talk to Tom, talk to Jerry. It is important that we know what the gospel is. We need to know what the bookend on the left is and the bookend on the right is and everything in between. It is simple. It is clear. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You shall be saved. Tom, if you want to come forward and play some music here. I, the title of this teaching this morning, and I, I wrestled with this teaching title because I know a handful of you and I know, I, I understand how you think. And I, the title that the Lord gave me was Let Us Be Like the Lepers. And I rejected that at first. I'm like, no, Lord, I'm not gonna make that the title. Let us be like, but then he's like, he emphasized for me, let us be like the lepers. Not ask you to prophesy, let us become lepers. Let us be like the lepers. What I want us to draw this morning, we see Jesus in the story. That's what we're growing big and strong with here at The Rock. We're growing big and strong at being able to see Jesus in all scripture. That when we look at the word, we don't just see a list of do's and don'ts and try harder to be betters. So we see Jesus, we acknowledge Jesus, the presence of the gospel in this story. And with that, we can see that's an opportunity for us to carry that good news. This is an opportunity, church. There's too many people that I talk to, too many Christians that I know, that their perspective on people that don't know Jesus is, stinks to be them. Maybe they'll change their mind someday. There's no urgency. We can duck our heads. If you're here this morning and you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, not ever to be erased. If we can carry that, we can carry that to the world. Understanding that reality should inspire us not to try harder to be better. This isn't, huh, try harder to be better. It's to take the news that we have, the way things actually are, as Jody talked about last week, when we understand the love light of God shining in our lives, we see how right we are with God. That's good news. That's the best news. That's that one thing like the American citizens carried in the 1940s was this unified perspective. We got one job, one thing. Whatever part in that we play, there is one goal, to carry the gospel. If you would join me and stand this morning, I'd like to make a declaration over us. And then we'll be free to go, we can go get some lunch. We declare this morning that because of this good news of salvation, by grace, through faith, which we carry about with us, that we are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. That we are blessed going in and blessed going out. That though this world is not fixed yet, we have the freedom and the boldness to walk confidently into our week. 
knowing that Jesus promised to never leave us and never forsake us, but to remain with us even to the end of the age. This is not some magic formula, and as long as we remain in these natural bodies, we will still endure difficult days. But we know, and today we agree with the Apostle John, that the treasure on the inside of these earthen vessels is greater than any pressure or any force operating on the outside. We declare this morning a blessing over each family that's here, that we may raise up the next generation of godly disciples, we may teach them to walk hand in hand with Jesus. We declare a blessing over each marriage that is in this house today and every single person that is here, that each of us may walk boldly into the calling the Lord has placed in our lives, knowing that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have access to all of your promises. Lord, I thank you that we can believe you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to put our faith and trust in you. Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I, I pray freedom right now in this place that if anybody that doesn't know you, they would choose this morning to put their faith and trust in you, to settle it once and for all. They can begin walking hand in hand with you. Father, for the rest of us that, that have been walking with you for a season, Lord, I just pray courage pray renewed passion, not to try harder to be better, but Lord, that we would realize with absolute certainty what we have been given and so carry it to the world around us. Lord, I pray a blessing over this body as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.